You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 17, so uh, the first book of the Bible, uh, 17 would be the big number, and then we're going to start in the first verse, and uh, God's people have always stood for the reading of the word, so if you'll stand with me, uh, we'll read God's word, and I will start in the last verse of chapter 16, uh, and then I'm going to read through chapter 18, uh, verse... um, 21. So we've got a, a bit of territory to cover here. So uh, give your attention to the reading of God's word. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. When Abram was 99 years old, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money, shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. And she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? 
Shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? Sorry, is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abram's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very day, as God had said to him. Abram was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was thirteen years old, when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from, the for, from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. And the Lord appeared by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door, that is, Abraham sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent uh, of the door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and, a calf, and the calf and he had, that he had prepared, and he set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the door of the tent behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No. But you did laugh. Then the men sat, set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. 
The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great, a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, because it is great, and their sin is very grave. I will go down to see whether the, they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word is full, uh, so full uh, it is full of good things. It is full of right and just things. It is full of uh, gracious and kind things. Um, it is full of wisdom. Uh, there are, uh, I pray we'd feel the weight of the things that are required of us, the law, and also your grace toward us in the good news of Christ. I pray that you would help us. Uh, help these words now that come out of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, and that we give encouragement and strength and conviction uh, to those listening here, uh, those who know Christ and those who have yet to know Christ. I pray you would stir up faith in all of us, that we might trust in you, that we might know you, and we might have fellowship with you, and we might walk in your ways. Help us, O Lord, because otherwise we are dull. Uh, we are slow to understand uh, the things that are in your word. Help us, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've probably heard, uh, it's a rather common phrase, people will say, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Or things like, um, I love Jesus, but I don't like religion. Or, uh, you know, uh, I love Jesus, but not the church. Or Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. You, you hear these kind of stock phrases all the time, and uh, each of these statements in some ways has some value uh, and even some truth in s certain situations, though often they're kind of full of mistaken assumptions. Um, and I'd actually like to add a phrase uh, to this whole collection that I think is actually a bit more accurate. Um, God has shown himself not through a school, but a covenant. Christianity is not a school, but a covenant. So it's not a religion, it's a covenant. Not a school. It's not a set of things that you need to just learn, right, by rote. It's a covenant. And what I would like to do this morning is look at what it means that Christianity is not a religion, but a covenant. Uh, or not a school, but a covenant. And um, if you are new to Christianity or the Bible, one of the things is you'll find is that this passage that we have right in front of us is everywhere. The, the things that happen in this passage are everywhere throughout the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. You can't get away from it. Um, it's the third installment of God's dealings with Abraham. Uh, and it's building on the promise that he made back in Genesis 3 
to Adam and Eve, that they're going to have a child. There's going to be some special child that's going to rescue humanity out of the mess that they've gotten themselves into. And we will not be able to explore this passage exhaustively. So if there are things that are not addressed, please definitely come up and ask later um, because we just cannot get to everything. Because uh, Paul says in Galatians 3, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then that whole letter Paul wrote to these Galatian Christians is a meditation on Genesis 15 and 17. Uh, and pretty much anything else that Paul wrote uh, is a meditation on these passages. So what I'd like to do is just look at three things. We'll look at the divine promise. We'll look at the divine sign, the sign of circumcision and its meaning in particular. And then we'll conclude with talking about God's, the divine presence. So the divine promise, the divine sign, and then the divine presence. And there's plenty of things that we will also not get to. So first, the divine promise. This uh, chapter 17 here of Genesis is building. It's building on Genesis 12. It's building on Genesis 15, where God directly encounters Abraham twice. And this is the third major encounter that Abraham has. And the encounters with Abraham are the center. They're the center of the book of Genesis. Everything that goes on here is tied to everything that comes before and sets the trajectory for the rest of the Bible. So here's just a refresher, just a few sentences from Genesis 12. God's first words to Abraham, and at that time he was called Abram. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, so that's the initial thing that God says to Abraham. That's the initial uh, call and the initial blessing. God is going to be on Abraham's side. Now, just two lines from Genesis uh, chapter 15, verse 4. God promises to him that your very own son shall be your heir which wouldn't be all that significant except that Abraham is already old in Genesis 15 and doesn't have any kids. Verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And then Abraham's like, okay, oh Lord, how do I know? How, how do I know that this is what's going to happen? And as Pastor Josh preached on Genesis 15 two weeks ago, there's that whole bloody ceremony where God has Abraham cut up all these animals in half and puts them on either side. And then uh, God walks through those animals. Um, we're told that in verse 18 on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I will give this land. So you have this cutting ceremony, the, the I mean, bloody animals, uh, and God walks through. 
And then in chapter 16, just to give us a little context, uh, Abraham and Sarah, Sarai at the time, uh, decide to try to make this happen by Abram having a son through the servant Hagar. So, that's what's happened. And now, Genesis 17, God shows up again. And this time, the promise, the promise that we're looking at, is actually going to advance. God's going to push it just a little bit further. He says in verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Uh, if you've been with us since the beginning of Genesis, since the beginning, uh, pun intended, I guess, um, you'll hear the echoes of Genesis, but now God is promising nations and kings. It's going to get bigger, not just one kid, but lots of kids and lots of nations. Now, one of the things that the promise is conveyed in the names that are given. So we'll look at these names. And names are significant in almost any culture. And all of us, uh, it's, it's meaningful when someone remembers your name, right? Just at a basic social level. You know, if you meet someone and every single time and it's about the 10th time you've met them and they still can't remember your name, you can pretty much bet that you're not in the like best friend list, right? Oh, so good to see you again. Uh, what's your name? Um, but in lots of cultures, actually, naming is even more significant than in our, our current American context. You know, often people like parents pick names by flipping through the baby book. And, you know, you know what sounds nice? Oh, I like the name of the sound Adelaide. Let's name our child Adelaide. But in other cultures, naming is very, very significant. Uh, a few weeks ago, actually, I was talking with uh, Gold, and she zoomed in. She's from Nigeria. She zoomed into the family naming ceremony of one of her uh, nieces or nephews, uh, so because it's it's important. The naming ceremony is significant, and it's very true in uh, the biblical times as well. When a great king is entering into a treaty with another king especially if the one king is more important than the other king, they'll actually have a name ceremony. And that is exactly what we have here. God hands out names. In verse, uh, verses four and five, he says to Abraham, or to Abram at the time, he says, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Abraham's name, God is changing his name because Abraham's name is going to constantly now reflect the promise that God has made to Abraham. So he builds the promise into Abraham's name. So every single time Abraham says his name or Sarah says his name or the servants like Abraham, the promise resonates, right? You hear the promise. It gets built into Abraham's life. And it also ups the ante, right? Like if I'm going to change your name because of our friendship or our relationship, it's, it should mean something. And even nicknames often have that effect, right? Someone does something or they have some kind of characteristic or feature. There's some sort of the bonding that happens when you do that. And that's what's happening here. But not just Abram gets the name Abraham, but God also 
uh, brings Sarai into this covenant as well. And he names her in verses 15 and 16. He says, you shall not call her name Sarai, but you shall call her by her name Sarah, because I will bless her. And moreover, I will give a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Now her name, Sarai and Sarah both mean princess. So she, her name indicates royalty, but God gives her an older version of the name actually. So she's going to be kind of this great ancestor of kings. But what's interesting is that, of course, uh, Abram laughs, right? They're so old, they're not going to have kids. This is ridiculous. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience of accidentally laughing at somebody when you think they're making a joke, but they're not. So Abraham's like, that's a good, oh. Uh, you know, like, uh, that, I thought that was funny. And then God's like, God actually does have a sense of humor, but he wasn't joking with Abraham. But he does when he names the son, right? He doesn't miss a heartbeat. And God says, you're going to name your son Isaac. Right? You're going to name your son Isaac. Now, the name Isaac has to do with laughter. And it, it's, there's some debate as to whether or not it has to do with the fact that Abraham, Abraham laughs or the fact that it could be because it's Yitzhak, which has the Y sound, which might refer to God's name, that it refers to God's smiles. So it's either that the laughter is because Abraham and Sarah both laugh, or because God smiles because he himself knows what's going on, right? There's a, I know better than you do, and I'm going to make you happy, but I'm going to laugh while I do it. And then Abram, he's a little uncertain. He's like, why can't Ishmael, right? Why can't it be through him? And God says, no. Verse 19, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And then Abraham's like, Ishmael, no. But I will establish my covenant, again, my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. It is noticed throughout this passage, it's not our covenant. It is my covenant. God calls all the shots and he gives all the blessings. He gives all the gifts. He gives all the promises. He gives out the names. And interestingly enough, after Sarah laughs in verses 13 and 15, God once again says, oh, and God, of course, wouldn't have known that Sarah laughed, except that he knows everything. And he says, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall indeed I bear a child now that I am old? And God asks the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? And Sarah goes on to deny and says, no, I didn't laugh. He says, no, but you did. And here's one other name in our passage. In verse 1. God approaches Abraham and says to him, I am God Almighty. That's how he kicks off the whole interaction. God Almighty, El Shaddai. Now there's some debate as to what Shaddai means. Some think that it has to do with the association with a great mountain. 
where God sits at the top of the mountain where he, div- he divines all of his plans. He makes all his plans that will happen in the world. But it also seems to be related, God uses it in the context of his, great, his greatness in light of human weakness or frailty. You see it used 48 times in the whole Bible, and by far, it is used more in the book of Job than anywhere else. God's greatness in light of human frailty. And so he asks at the end of his interactions with Abraham and Sarah, is anything too difficult, too hard for the Lord, right? He, he is full of power and goodness. And so he is able to give out the gifts, to give out the promises and to make sure that it happens. He's the one who makes nations and makes kings to rise and fall. And so that is what God is doing here as he makes this promise. Now, not only does he embed the promise in their names, but he also now is going to give a sign to Abraham. And it's actually sort of at the center of the discussion. So God talks to Abraham and changes his name. He gives the sign of circumcision and then he gives Sarah her new name. Okay, So the sign is key. Now, the sign circumcision is not actually something that God makes up right here. Lots of cultures actually practice circumcision. Uh, Usually it was a rite of passage, um, usually for teenagers uh, into adulthood. And and cultures uh, practice it for male and female. Um, And God has this sign of cutting away the male foreskin that's going to be for Abraham and for all of his family. All of the boys after this point. And it, it means several things. What's significant is not that God, it's not that God here creates the ceremony of circumcision, but what he attaches to it, what is significant about it. So first off, it's a sign that points to descendants, right? And by the way, parents, you might have to do some explaining here uh, later. But what happens is this is a sign that shows the promise that there will be a son. Abraham is going to have a child. And related to this sign is that it's not going to be just one. It's to you and your offspring four times. Verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10. God says to you and your offspring four times. It's a covenant with Abraham's son. And what it is doing is it is now going to provide a marker for the community. It's going to actually take Abraham's family and form them. This, this sign forms them into a, uh, a nation. That's one of the things that it does. It forms the community. It's the beginning of Israel as a visible nation. So this is the beginning, so to speak, of the visible Old Testament church. Just as baptism, as we'll see later in the Bible, is the sign that forms the visible New Testament church. If you have questions about that, we can talk more later. Second reason for this is this sign indicates the purpose of the community, what they are for and why God is making them. Why is God deciding to pick this guy 
and then turn them into a nation. What, what's behind it? This is what God says in verse 1 of our chapter. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you. And then if you jump to chapter 18, verse 17, God reiterates what he just said when he's talking with Abraham about his plans for Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, so, right, echoes of what we just heard, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through him. So, blessing, right? But here, listen to this in verse 19. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Part of the reason for this community, God says, walk before me and be blameless, and his descendants are to be taught justice and righteousness. The sign of circumcision, if you follow it throughout the Bible, becomes associated with a right way of living. To be uncircumcised is symbolic of essentially walking in the ways of the world in unrighteousness without justice, doing what is wrong. What this is a sign of is what it means that once God has rescued you, he rescues you for a purpose. There's nobody in the Bible after Genesis 3 who God doesn't have to rescue. We all need to be rescued. But when God rescues us, he rescues us for a purpose. And he rescues us to walk in his ways, as he tells Abraham, to walk before me and be blameless. This is the cost of discipleship. Abraham has a new nature. He has a new identity. He is to be a blessing. And the only way he can be a blessing is if he walks by God's ways. And so... The situation with Sodom and Gomorrah is the opposite, right? Abraham has been called out of the world to go this direction. And that is one of the reasons why God's filling Abraham in on what is going on. He just gave him the sign of what he is to be, not what he is to be. Number three, the sign of circumcision seals the promise. In Romans chapter 4, verse 11, and Romans chapter 4 is a, another place where Paul reflects on this passage. He meditates on Genesis 15 17. This is what Paul says, that he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So circumcision, along with baptism, and the Lord's Supper, and other signs that God gives in the Bible, they are both signs and seals. What does it mean to seal something? We don't do this very often. Mostly, we don't do it at all. Uh, maybe the best thing you have is, I got one Christmas, um, and I thought it was so cool, that my, my aunt got me and my brothers a, a stamper, with our name and our address so we could stamp, you know, envelopes, probably because we didn't send enough birthday cards or thank you cards or whatever, and she was going to make it easy on us. I don't know. But I could seal it 
so that, you know, I would write out whoever's name and then up in the upper corner when I mailed letters, I could stamp it. Now, I don't know that I sent many letters, but that Christmas, I definitely stamped all over the paper. But it is to seal and say, this is official from Justin, right? So that people know where the message is coming from. But a seal in the ancient world was also something often worn on a ring and you would press it into wax to show that either it belonged to you or that you were somehow guaranteeing it or it had your authority. So the sign of circumcision is God sealing to Abraham his divine seal that Abraham is righteous. So God is saying, I put my mark upon you that you are in fact righteous, okay? God is showing and sealing the guarantee to Abraham. And so he says in chapter 17, verse 11, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. It is a seal, a guaranteeing that this isn't just a passing, uh, hey, I'll give you some good stuff sometime. No, God is guaranteeing it. And not only, I mean, it's a pretty serious thing, right? You know, maybe some of you have or have friends who've gotten tattoos of a past boyfriend or girlfriend, right? That's a pretty significant step, right? This is beyond tattooing, right? God is guaranteeing this thing. And here's the other thing about seals. Uh, a good analogy is a wedding, right? At a wedding... You, you have the exchange of vows, and along with exchanging the vows, so not just words, but you place the ring on each other's finger. And what happens is, is it, it's, it's a sign, but it also has, it does something more. The wedding ceremony does something more. It guarantees and creates a bond that pulls in everything that we possibly can to make it important and to make it last. So there's vows, there's guests who are witnesses, there's uh, the bridal party as witnesses, um, you have paperwork, you have clergy, all these things that you pile on to make sure that this bond and these words that are exchanged are sealed. They will not be broken. They cannot and should not be broken. And that is what God is doing here. So when God seals things to his people, he makes stuff actually happen. The status before the wedding of the groom and the bride is different than when they walk out, right? But in one sense, nothing has happened. But everything has happened at the same time. It's, it's not mere ceremony. So when God gives baptism, when God gives the supper, he is not, it's not just us. We have this unfortunate problem in a lot of churches where we think that, well, baptism is just kind of like you get dunked and then, you know, the Lord's Supper, you just eat some stuff and we remember things. You know, it helps us remember what Jesus has done and that is part of it. But actually, God is also sealing his promises to you. So if you have been baptized, when you were baptized, God, through the church, sealed promises to you. And when you take the Lord's Supper, Christ is present, sealing his benefits to you. This, the, the, what we call the sacraments are, in fact, primarily God's gift to us, not us remembering stuff 
so that you know, we don't forget or something. That is part of it, but they're primarily seals. And here's how we also know that it is a seal. This is the fourth thing about circumcision. It indicates not only the promise and all the blessings that will come through the promise, it's also a sign of a curse. It is simultaneously the sign of a blessing and the sign of a curse. Because this cutting ceremony, this is a cutting ceremony, right? You are going to cut the foreskin. It goes back actually to Genesis 15, where Abram cut up all those animals. It reminds Abram of the severity of breaking this covenant. You break this covenant and you will surely die. So notice in verse 14, God says, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised, right? Two times, not circumcised, uncircumcised, in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. The sign of circumcision is a small cutting to remind you of complete cutting, a, a deadly cutting. And if you read throughout the rest of the uh, Bible from this point on, I assure you, every single time that somebody is in really big trouble and they're doing something wrong and God is going to judge them, it will say they will be cut off. They will be cut off from God, they will be cut off from the covenant, and it is tied to this ceremony. So just to give you one example, you can read through Leviticus, the most probably what people consider the most boring book of the Bible, and you will, you will find this phrase. Here's an example, Leviticus 18.29. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among my people. It means to be spiritually and physically dead. You're cut off from God's people. You're cut off from the promises. Now here's what is amazing. Christ's death is also seen as a circumcision. If you look at Colossians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, I will read it to you. In him, that is in Christ, you, you Gentiles, who are not a part of the Jewish people, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful work of God who raised him from the dead. The death of Christ is the fulfillment of Genesis 17 because nobody is able to keep the covenant that God makes. So somebody has to be cut off. And Christ on the cross is circumcised by God for the sins of every sinner that has ever lived who trusts in Christ. So when you trust in Christ, you are united to him and the punishment that he has taken, your punishment is on him. And it's what's striking about this passage is that it equates circumcision and baptism. Baptism picks up where circumcision left off. At the cross, circumcision ends and baptism begins. 
Now, final point. What is so great about this covenant that God is making with Abraham? What would you say is the best thing about it? What makes it so wonderful? If you read, you read through this chapter, and God gives so many gifts, right? He's just pouring on the gifts. It's like one of the best birthdays ever. You know, it's like Abraham can't, he can't keep up with opening the presents. They just keep coming. He's going to have a supernatural child. He's going to have nations. He's going to have a promised dynasty of kings. A line of kings are going to come from him. He's going to have land. But all that, for as great as that is, that's not the best part. The best part, by far the greatest gift, is in verses 7 and 8. God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. What is so great about this covenant, and this might not seem obvious to us, is that God is the greatest blessing. It is being connected to God by being in this covenant, right? This is my covenant. This is God's covenant. It's to be in relationship with God. To not be in this covenant is to not be in relationship with God. In verse 8, he says, I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And that phrase will be picked up throughout the rest of the Bible. When God wants to say something really good to somebody, he'll say, I will be your God. I will be their God. And the worst thing you could hear is, they are not my people. To hear the word of rejection from God. The greatest gift is is God. And it's because God is, is the greatest and best thing that exists. I don't know, you probably have, you think of like your best friend or the person you want to be around the most. What are the things that you like about them? It's great because you can share everything with them. You know, great conversation. You can have fun together. You know, there's a bond that you just can't pull apart. God is mind-blowingly better than the best friend you can imagine. In, in our church history class, actually, this morning, we read snippets from a, a Christian named Richard of St. Victor who is writing about the Trinity. And he's imagining God before anything existed. I don't know if you've known a child that can entertain themselves for hours on end in a room completely empty. Maybe you were that child. The imagination is just so incredible. The child can create worlds and just enjoy a room that's completely empty. And you're like, hey, it's time for dinner. You're like, oh, I was just playing. You know, versus the child that's like, when's dinner? You know, I can't do anything without the television or food. But then you got the child up in the room that's just like, wow, you know, like they're just, God is almost like that, only way better, Okay. Because Richard of St. Victor 
recognized that an, a being that is alone has to be an incredible being. And so he recognizes that God is Father, Son, and Spirit, all in relationship, in constant loving communication and self-sustaining, not bored, in need of nothing, constantly sharing great relationship with each other, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we cannot really even fathom it. And now Abram and all of his descendants are getting welcomed into this relationship, even though they don't deserve it. Abraham is offered a relationship with God. After humanity has solidly proven that they do not deserve a relationship with God. And this morning, that invitation is actually offered to all of us. Because we are told that it is those of faith who are the children of Abraham. Now, it's important. How does Abraham respond, right? How does he respond to this incredible offering? And it's probably, Abraham doesn't even actually realize how great the gift is. I don't know if you've ever received a gift, like you've watched someone get like an incredibly expensive gift and they have no idea what they just got. Abraham just got the gift, not of the century, not of the millennium, of entire human existence, okay? He's gone beyond winning the lottery. How does he respond? Well, first off, he laughs, right? Verse 17, he falls on his face and he laughs. He's like, I, just can't, I can't believe this, right? A child born to a guy who's 100 years old. <laughs> Imagine. But, but then what does he do? Sarah laughs too. This is actually somewhat encouraging because our faith is never perfect. But Abraham is marked by faith. Our faith is often mixed with unbelief and yet Abraham believes. Because ultimately your faith, it's not how much faith you have, it is the object of your faith. And God will not disappoint, even if you give him that much faith. Like a child hiking with a parent at night and the parent promised safety, the child might be still afraid a little bit, but as long as the child keeps walking and trusting the child is safe. But Abraham does have some faith. Verses 22 and 23. When he had finished talking with him, that is when God had finished talking with Abraham, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. That very day, two times we're told. He does it immediately. Abraham wants to be in this covenant. And let me tell you, circumcision at 99 years old would not have been like winning the lottery. And yet Abraham does it that very day. He laughs, but he knows that this is where the life is to be had and he wants to be in this covenant and he trusts God and he does it immediately we're told immediately so if 
you have the slightest inkling that this is where life is to be had, all the goodness, all the blessing, today, respond. Trust today that this is for you. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a covenant. A covenant with the living God. And here's one other really nice blessing. It's not just for Abraham's physical, biological, ethnic family. Even from the very beginning, verse 23, all those born in his house or bought with his money, all the nations will be blessed immediately on that very day. Even people who are not bound to Abraham by his blood, by his family, were also brought into the covenant. God offers this relationship to the entire world. And it's going to come through Abraham. And you have to keep reading the Bible to figure out exactly how it's all going to work out. But it is divinely established. It's divinely, it's divine promises that are divinely sealed by God. They're bought and sealed with blood. It's official, it's public. It is an institution, but it is also a covenant relationship. And at its heart is an unbreakable relationship, an unbreakable bond with the living God through Jesus Christ. It is with Abraham and with all of his children Those by faith are his children, we're told by Paul. So this day, if you have faith, you are brought into this incredible relationship. And if you do not have faith, God is calling to you to trust in Christ and to join him coming into this relationship. Let me pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your abundant goodness to Abraham. We thank you for the promises. And I pray that you would draw all of us in this room by your grace and mercy. You would draw every single one of us into this relationship, that you would stir in all of us faith. For those of us who already trust, increase our faith. We want to trust you more. We want to walk in a way that is pleasing to you. We want to walk in the way of righteousness and justice. For those who have not yet trusted, stir, I pray in them, O oh Lord, even the tiniest bit of faith in Christ and in your word, in the promises that you've made. Help us, Heavenly Father, for we are so often weak in faith. Use your word this morning to make us strong, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.